Hello, my people. Uh, if I haven't met you before, my name's Kurt. I'm one of the ministers here at Wild Street. It's a pleasure to have you along tonight. I'm going to look right down the camera to you at you tonight because I want to be in your lounge room talking to you. And so we're going to look at this passage, which is a tricky passage. Lots of people feel uncomfortable with it. It's a tricky passage, but we're going to do our best to listen to what God has to say. Um, so why don't you pray with me uh, at home and uh, we'll look at this text together. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for the chance to gather together around your word. Even though we can't see each other face to face, we know right now that your spirit is in each one of us because your spirit is given to each one of us as a, as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come to help us understand your word. And so wherever we are right now, whatever house we're in, whatever device we're looking on, we know your spirit is with each one of us, taking your word and impacting it into our lives. So speak to us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a number of weeks ago, I was watching the ABC, uh, the drum on the ABC. And uh, it, 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 the drum was, it was just after a recent report had come out from the Anglican Church about domestic abuse in the Anglican Church. Now, one of the findings of the report, and it was shocking, was that uh, Anglican women were more likely than the general population to suffer domestic abuse. The uh, scary, isn't it? It's shocking. Uh, now, the panel, on the panel that night, you had a whole bunch of different people. One of them was an Anglican minister from Sydney, and he did a reasonable job. I mean, you imagine how intimidating that kind of deal is. He did a reasonable job. He didn't try to deflect, he didn't try to be defensive, didn't try to explain it away. He owned it, and he says, we as a church need to do so much better. But one difficult part of the interview, interview where you could see he was struggling was when one of the people on the panel suggested that one of the reasons it's a problem in the Anglican Church is because of their teaching on passages such as the one we just read. The panel suggested that part of the problem was that churches teach that wives should submit to their husbands. That as long as you're teaching that, you're going to have domestic abuse. What do you think of that? What do you think of that? See, in our culture, the idea of submission in marriage is not just kind of archaic or ancient. It's actually considered dangerous. It's actually considered a dangerous teaching. Yet, if we believe that submission is a part of God's model for marriage, then although our culture considers it ugly and dangerous, then we need to, need to think that it must be good. It must be, it must be beautiful even. And so tonight I've entitled the talk, The Beauty of Submission, because I think as Christians, it's not enough for us to just apologise for the parts of the Bible we think sound a bit hard for our culture. It's not enough for us to just kind of dodge it and, and hope that people don't see those parts. We need to embrace them. We need to embrace this as, as beautiful, as God's wisdom on how to do the marriage relationship. And so it starts by recognising where this section fits in with Ephesians. And so if you're new with us tonight on Facebook, uh, Facebook Live, we have been working through the letter to the Ephesians. And so I'm going to quickly take you through from chapters 1 through to 5 to get us up to speed. Ephesians chapter 1, God's, uh, Paul says uh, to a bunch of churches in the region of Ephesus, uh, God has saved you by uniting you to Jesus through faith. And then he says, this is a part of God's bigger plan to unite 
all things in Christ. Chapter 2, he says that through Jesus' death and resurrection, you followers of Jesus have gone from death to life. You've been united to Jesus in His life, not only united to God, but united to each other. Jew and Gentile coming together as one people under God, with Jesus at the head. Chapter 3, he keeps going from there and he says that as this one body, the church, you will look weak to the world, but it actually displays God's grace and His power to the entire universe. Chapter 4, he says, now live out that unity. He turns the corner, he says, live out the unity. And so he calls them to not get angry or bitter or steal, but forgive and be generous. Chapter 5, we heard last week, it's that, it's that, it's that call to be what we've been made to be, live worthy of the calling to which we've been called. He says, you are light, live like light. He says, you are wise, live wisely. He says that you are spirit-empowered and so allow the Holy Spirit given to you to direct your life. And so he says, do it by speaking, by singing, by making music, by thanking. And he finally says it, verse 21 there of chapter 5, submitting. And so that's where we're going to start tonight. We're going to start with submitting to one another, it says, out of reverence for Christ, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, it's really crucial we start here, before we start talking about wives submitting and that whole marriage relationship, we need to start here. Paul, what is he doing? He's talking to all Christians and he says, submission to each other is how we honour Jesus. Just as Jesus submitted himself to death, took the punishment for our sins, so Christians are to sacrificially serve each other. And so as soon as you hit that point, you need to recognise submission in the Bible is not a dirty word. Because the most beautiful human being who's ever lived, lived a life of submission, lived a life of sacrificial service for others. And so everyone is called to submit like Jesus. But what does that look like? Well, as we keep reading, we see that what submission looks like depends on where God has placed you in the relational fabric or network of our world, the structures of our world. And what we're going to see is that what's described here is not this idea of mutual submission or what I'd call symmetrical submission, where every person submits in exactly the same way to each other. Now, what I describe here, as Paul explains, is an asymmetrical submission. And as Paul describes marriage... He says, it looks different between a husband and a wife. And so for the wife, we're going to see that submission means following the loving leadership and initiative of her husband. For husbands, it means sacrificing his desires to lovingly leading his wife. And so what we see, wives submit, husbands sacrifice. Wives submit. Husbands sacrifice. So let's start with wives. It says there, wives submit, sorry, first, firstly, wives submit as the body to the head. So verse 22, it says, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Paul is saying the wife's expression of, a, of, of, of reverence for Jesus is when she submits to the lead of her husband, the initiative of her husband. Why? Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, 
his body of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And Paul here is using a body metaphor, we need to recognise that, it's a body metaphor and he's saying within this body metaphor the husband is the head and the wife is the body. Now that does not mean the husband's the smart one and the wife's not, far from it. Uh, Paul is saying essentially these two, these two people, husband and wife, they are one flesh, they work together in unison in everything but that husbands need to, as the head, need to take the lead. Now, at this point, you might be feeling uncomfortable, just with that teaching alone, that the husband leads in the marriage. I remember clearly at my wedding, we had this passage read, and my auntie, who was listening at the time, she was sitting there, I saw her eyes roll in the back of her head as she heard that part of the Bible read. Perhaps you've known people who have uh, ha- who've been mistreated as a consequence of a of a partner or a a husband using this verse to to put his wife in a place and make her submit. Perhaps you think the idea of men leading women makes women inferior to men, implies that women are inferior to men. Well, let me ask you just for a moment to press pause on that kind of cynicism to this whole teaching. Press pause on for a moment and just continue looking at what Paul has to say. All right, so... Firstly, we see, Paul says, wives are called to submit like the body to the head. Second, it says, husbands are to sacrifice as the head to the body. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What's this speaking about? It's speaking about Jesus' death for the church. That Jesus, the ultimate leader with ultimate power, submitted himself to death for the, goodness, for the good of the church, for the salvation of the church. Now, that is what we call the gospel. And if you're exploring Christian faith tonight, don't be put off with me talking about submission and women and leadership, all the things. The thing you need to get your head around first before you hear any of that is the good news about Jesus. That Jesus died for you to restore you to a relationship with your Creator. Husbands are to sacrificially love their wives like Jesus, dying to their own desires to seek their good. Keep reading verse 26. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, Husbands are to love their wives like Christ loved the church. What does that look like, Paul says? It is through speaking the word. All right, as Jesus speaks the word of the gospel to the church, he washes her, he nourishes her, he he, he cleanses the church, he purifies him with the word of truth about what he's done for her. And likewise, husbands, as we speak the words to our wife, as we encourage them that they are forgiven, as we encourage them that children of God, as we encourage them that God's at work in their life, husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. That's one expression of it. And Paul is saying here, just as Jesus the head sacrificed his life for the church, husbands are to lead their wives through the sacrifice of their own desires for the good of their wife. To put the good of their wife before their golf game. To put their good of their wife before going surfing, Josh. To put the good of their wife before... I'm going to pick on Jasper now, what? 
What do you put? Cricket. Put it before cricket. To put the good of their wife before the food they like to eat. To put the good of their wife before their desire to be right in an argument. To put the good of their wife before feeling powerful. To put the good of their wife before feeling respected. To, put the, to, to be a person who serves in sex. To be a person who serves in the home. To be a person who serves in raising children. When there is conflict, the husband is to die to himself by being the one who takes initiative each and every time and does not just wait back and think, I'm going to wait for her to say sorry. Verse 28. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Now, although strangely some people don't actually look after their body, don't care for their body, that's, that's, that's unusual. Most people will care for their bodies. And so Paul exhorts husbands to care for their wives like they care for their own body, like Jesus who cared for his body, the church. Now what's interesting in this is how Paul uses this comparison, comparative metaphor between Jesus and the church and husbands and wives. Verse 31, verse 31, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Now what's really interesting here is the order in which these things happen. Paul here is quoting Genesis chapter 2, right at the beginning of the Bible, and, the, and talking about the first marriage, where it says a man and his wife come to their, came together and they became one flesh. Paul says that there is a mystery. Now, a mystery in Ephesians is something hidden that has now been revealed. He says that mystery has now been revealed. Well, what's revealed? It was revealed that that marriage back then was a picture of what Jesus would do for the church. That the husband and the wife was a picture of what Jesus would do for the church, that this marriage was a picture of this marriage. Now, here's the interesting thing about it. We think human marriage came first, and then Jesus comes and dies for the church, and Paul thinks, oh, that's a good metaphor I might use. I might use the whole metaphor of marriage to explain uh, what, what it means to Jesus to die for us and save the church. But what it's actually saying here is not that. It says that what comes first is the plan for Jesus to die for the church. The plan for Jesus to die for the church came first and so when marriage was created between Adam and Eve, it wasn't the ultimate marriage. It was never intended to be the ultimate marriage. It was simply meant to be a picture, almost like a visual prophecy of what one day Jesus would do for his church. See, Jesus and church, that's the ultimate marriage. This is just a small visual picture. Verse 33. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. A married couple as one body is a picture of Jesus and his church as one body. The husband is the head who leads through the sacrifice of his own needs to nourish and lead his wife, the body. The wife submits through receiving the sacrificial service and following her husband's initiative. Both husband and wife, like Jesus, the ultimate human, 
who submitted himself and sacrificed himself for us. See, that's, that's the beauty of submission. That's the beauty of submission. We both, husband and wife, get to become more like Christ as they sacrificially serve one another in love. And so the question is, why does it then appear ugly to our world? If it's so beautiful, why does it appear ugly to our world? Well, I want to give you seven things. I know it's a lot. I've got seven things that I think need to be said, and there's probably more that could be said, but seven things that help clarify this issue, this question of submission in marriage. Firstly, submission in marriage is never forced, but always voluntary. It's never forced, but always voluntary. We need to go into the Scriptures to see Jesus and his submission. Jesus was not forced by his heavenly Father to come and save us. In John chapter 10, it says, Jesus says, I have the authority to lay my life down and to take it up. Likewise, submission in marriage is never forced, but always voluntary. It is never a husband's job to make his wife submit. I'll say that again. It is never a husband's job to make his wife submit. In fact, it is only beautiful. Submission is only ever beautiful when the wife in freedom submits out of reverence for Jesus. If a husband forces his wife to submit, it is ugly. It's evil. And that's what the Anglican report was highlighting that some men in the Anglican Church have used this passage to force submission. And sadly, if that report is true, then there are wives here tonight who might be hearing this tonight, who might be suffering the pain of forced submission. Your husband might be using emotional or or physical abuse, verbal threats, to make you submit. Friend, if that is happening to you right now, then you need to, you need to know that is not what God wants. That is not what this passage is saying. And your husband is lying. If that is you tonight, then you need to know that we are here ready to listen to you. We are re- ready to hear you and help you. Now, if you need to speak to someone about that, if you feel comfortable, you can speak to one of the pastors. If you don't feel comfortable, there are uh, uh, helplines you can go to that we're going to put in the e-news this week, anonymous helplines. There's also other females that you you could talk to Eleanor, you could talk to some of the women from Morning Church, to Tony, uh, to Leone, uh, 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 to, uh, to Lara. We'd love to do everything we can to help you. Submission in marriage is never forced, but always voluntary. Now, I need to say one more thing in regards to that. Because not only can that happen with the wife, it can also happen with the husband. A husband, likewise, should never be forced to sacrificially serve his wife. And strangely, it can happen. A wife can use emotional manipulation, she can use guilt... A wife can use the denial of sex to make the husband do what she wants him to do. She, she, in a sense, abuses his willingness 
to serve her sacrificially so that his service is not willing, but it's forced. Submission in Christian marriage is always voluntary. It's never forced. Second, Christian, submission in marriage is conditional. Submission in marriage is conditional. What I mean by that is there are limits to this teaching. For instance, if a husband calls a wife to do something that is against what God wants her to do, then she needs to recognize her ultimate marriage is to Jesus and she is to be obedient to him wholeheartedly rather than her husband. In those circumstances, you should not listen to your husband. Now, this is particularly important for women who have married men who don't follow Jesus. If your husband calls you to do or be something that is against what Scripture says or is against your God-given, Spirit-enabled conscience, then with as much respect and honour as you can muster, you should not do what they call you to do. Another condition that we need to take into consideration is that when we talk about submission in this passage, it's talking about submission for wives in relationship, in a marriage relationship, not all women. And so this passage is not saying a wife can't be a CEO of a company. It's not saying a wife can't lead a ministry team or some sort of, some sort of group, social group. Submission in marriage is conditional. Thirdly, Submission in marriage is not conditional. It's also not conditional. The passage does not say, wives, submit to your husbands as long as you agree with them. It, it does not say, husband, love your wives as long as they seem to be respecting you enough. It says both husband and wife are to submit as to the Lord. Now, what that means is that your motivation for submitting and sacrificing for each other is not the merit of each other. It's not how good and each other are performing in their role as husband and wife. Your motivation at every moment is Jesus and what he's done for you. The fact that he laid his life down for you, that you might lay down your life for your spouse. We submit because he submitted for us. And now that is even true of people who are married to people who don't know Jesus, of unbelievers. God has ordained that you, anyone in a marriage, is to respect and honour their spouse. While at the same time recognise it's not okay for a non-Christian spouse to call you to do something that's beyond, that's outside God, what God would have you do. Submission in marriage is not conditional. That's number three. Number four, biblical submission often doesn't look like it. It often doesn't look like it. When you have two people who trust each other and are working for each other's good. When you have two people who are both seeking to live under Jesus, who are both sitting under his word and saying, Jesus, direct our lives, then often the relationship doesn't look like this hierarchical thing where the husband's up the top and the wife's down the bottom and she's leading, he's leading her. No, not at all. The relationship, in fact, becomes more about, it's more like a dance. I've got this little section that Tony Lindeback sent me after my talk this morning, which was really good. It's from a book by Winston Smith on marriage. He says this, In the marital dance, however, the husband lead, 
leads as he listens to the music of Christ. Because the wife hears the same music, they're able to keep in time in their own minds and move as one. In a clumsy moment, toes may be, uh, may, may be stepped on occasion. Dance moves may have to be reviewed and may be an instructor consulted. So what Winston Smith is saying there is, if both parties are listening to Jesus and have humble hearts that are seeking to love and serve one another, then often it just doesn't look like it. It's this beautiful dance that moves around. Now, there's sometimes there's moments where we're not as perfect as we should be, and we're not serving each other in love, and it gets a bit clunky, and a movement gets to get clumsy. But, but biblical submission, when it's, when it's in full flourish, it actually doesn't look like it. It actually doesn't look like it. Number five, marriage is first about Jesus. It's first about Jesus. As you read this section in light of the message of Ephesians, what's the message of Ephesians? That God's plan is to unite all things in Christ. You see that marriage on earth is only that picture of the ultimate marriage between Jesus and the church. Now that is really helpful because on one hand it says to you what? Marriage is special. Marriage is special because it's this, meant to be this picture of what Jesus would do for the church. And so as followers of Jesus, we should care about marriages. We should run marriages courses. We should do marriage enrichment. We should do marriage counselling. We should be building up marriages in our church so that they might reflect better the glory of the gospel. But at the same time, what it says is this also, not only is marriage special, but it also says that marriage, sorry, not only says that marriage is special, it also at the same time says marriage is not ultimate. It's not ultimate. Our marriages are not ultimate and that is particularly helpful when thinking about the unmarried people in our churches. This is saying that every Christian, every Christian here tonight looking, with, looking at that screen right now is a part of the ultimate marriage. That unmarried people are just as able to enjoy God and His world in that marriage, that ultimate marriage with God, that all Christians are united to Jesus, our husband. Now, does that mean that unmarried people have particular struggles that married people don't have? Yes, some do, particularly as I've talked over the last couple of weeks to people who are are struggling with isolation. Some people who are unmarried are feeling in a really intense way. Others are not. So it's not, it's not always the case they are, but others are, some are not. What we need to know as, our, as brothers and sisters that, who are going through that, we need to care for them in these struggles. But we never want to do it in a way that says marriage is ultimate, human marriage is ultimate. In, in a sense, to look down on them. Every Christian is a part of the most fulfilling and important relationship they can have on earth. Marriage is first about Jesus. Number six, marriage makes church important. Here's the reality. I'm going to be married to Kelly, hopefully for a bunch of years, for a bunch of years. But I'm going to be caught up in a marriage relationship with you, my church family, for all eternity. We're lifers. We're together for life. Eternity. That's that's how long we're going to be together. Yes, married people need to care for their marriage, this side of the new creation. But your marriage should never be about you. 
if you are, you're married, you have been united as one to be a part of the ultimate marriage between Jesus and his church. And so your marriage, therefore, is not just about you. It's not enough for a married couple to sit at home and think, man, we're, we're living for Jesus just by making each other happy. God has brought you as one to serve together in his body, the church, to love his church family, to be caught up in the ultimate family of God, the ultimate marriage. And so that, what's it going to mean? It means married couples need to be inclusive. They need to say, who can I bring into this relationship? Who can I serve with this relationship? Older, younger, married, unmarried, teenagers, children, we need to bring them in together that our marriages might serve the ultimate marriage. Number seven, marriage is part of something much bigger. This is the coolest thing about this passage for those who are struggling in their marriages right now. I know COVID can put a lot of pressure on relationships because you're spending lots and lots of time together. But if you're a Christian, here's the incredible truth what Ephesians is saying, that God's grand plan of uniting all things in Christ, all the power that brings that about, is currently now playing out in your relationship. I've sat down with lots of couples who are in the darkest of times, where as you're listening to them, you think, even, even I, they look hopeless, and I'm starting to think this is hopeless. In those moments, I need to, they need to remember Ephesians chapter 5. That the God of the universe who raised Christ from the dead, who's bringing about this incredible plan of salvation, is the God who is at work by His Spirit in your marriage. And so there's always hope. Marriage is a part of something bigger. Friends, our world considers the Bible's view on marriage as dangerous. But the truth is, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Two people trusting each other, seeking the other person's good, submitting and sacrificing for one another in freedom out of reverence for Jesus. Making marriage not about them, but about serving in God's church. Jesus says to you wives, submit like me and follow the lead of your husbands. Receive his love. Jesus says to his, you husbands, sacrifice like me and lead your wife for her good. Give of everything to your wife. Not because you have to. Not because your spouse deserves it. But because Jesus submitted and sacrificed to make you his bride. Tonight, if you are having marital struggles of any type, then please come and chat to me. Come and chat to Josh. Just get in contact with us. We'll chat over Zoom, however, we'll go for a walk, whatever we need to do. We want to do everything we can to help the marriage relationships at our church. If you're a female and you'd like to talk to a female as well, you can talk to Eleanor, you can talk to Lara, you can talk to Tar, uh, 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 Leone, you can talk to Tony Lindeback. All of those people would love to help you. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word that gives us this uh, picture of marriage 
that is beyond, it's beyond what we could have dreamed up. This p- picture of marriage that has Jesus at the centre as the motivation, this picture of marriage that has Jesus as the model on how to do that marriage, that has the gospel transforming the way we see the marriage relationship. Father, we thank you that whether we are married or unmarried, we are part of that ultimate marriage. We are your bride together, longing for that one day we restore all things in your new creation. Father, for the husbands who are here tonight, who are listening at home, Father, I pray that whatever you need to do, you would speak into their lives to help them recognize the responsibility they have to lovingly lead through sacrificial service of their wives. Father, for the women who are here tonight, the wives who are here tonight, sorry, Father, we pray that you would help them see the incredible role they have of submitting to their husbands, of backing his leadership, of wisely coming alongside him to support him and encourage him and giving him the wisdom so that together they might be built up as believers in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.